0: 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We touched base with a few of these passages of Scripture last Sunday when we had our sing-spiration, but I want to kind of revisit them as we get get started um, on this conference. Several years ago, I had a... um, I was, I was a teacher in a Christian school in Florida, and uh, I had a, quite a variety of students. Some, uh, to quote Dr. Seuss, some were good and some were bad. Um, it, it, was, it was some interesting stories, I could tell you. But uh, one particular, years later, I had left the Christian school there, and just out of the clear blue, one of my students contacted me on so, social media now an adult, married, has children. This young man had, uh, we had butted heads. On a number of occasions in choir practice, he was there because he had to. There was never really, I found really any interest in the music program. He was just there because he had to be. And um, so he contacts me on social media and asks me how I'm doing and how the family is. And I thought, man, this is a weird conversation cuz he's never cared how i'm doing a day in his life it was very strange and so the conversation went on and i thought and this and 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 it ended and then the next day he this went on for oh probably about a week maybe if my memory serves me correctly and i thought why is he being so sociable and then one day out of the clear blue by the way my wife and i are into And I don't remember what the name... It was one of those health companies. It wasn't essential oils, but it was kind of the same line of thinking. So all of a sudden, now we have the real motive. You don't care how I'm doing. You don't care how my family is doing. And you specifically don't care how any of the music is going. You have something to sell me. I never responded. I never even said, we're doing great. We're doing fine. And no, we're not interested. I just didn't even respond. I was so irritated about it. Why? Because motives matter. Why you do what you do matters. You can think you have a relationship with someone. I listen to lots of of podcasts as I deliver mail and uh, I was listening to one just the other day and it was all about cons and people who con people and how they go about it and they, they, they win you in. They bring you in with concern. This, this woman was, uh, they think, probably conned people out over $2 million. And she always did it by, she was going to help you. It was always, how can I help you in your life? Motives matter. She didn't have the right motive. And with addressing the subject of music, motives matter. Why do we do what we do. Why do we do the music that we do in church? Why do you listen to the music you listen to at home? Why do we sing certain songs in church and why do we not sing certain songs in church? Why are certain songs appropriate in church but are uh, and appropriate at home? But why are certain songs appropriate maybe at home but not in church? Because motives matter. Why we do what we do. And we looked at this passage of scripture on Sunday and I'm going to come back to it again kind of launch us off in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul is talking about uh, there was this whole uh, issue going on in the Corinthian church about tongues. And there was if you read the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians there was so much confusion and so many issues It was a very, very carnal church, and he's addressing the issue of tongues and speaking in tongues in church and so on and so forth. But one of the main things, he comes to the thrust here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. See, all these Corinthians are coming in, and everybody had a word of knowledge, They had something to say. They had something to do. They had something to kind of share. But really the whole point of it was, hey, look at me. I can speak in a foreign tongue and I can do this. Or I can prophesy and I can do this. Or I can sing the song and I can do this. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you've got to do everything with understanding. If you're going to speak in tongues, there's got to be an interpreter up there to interpret what you say. And then he says, I will sing with the Spirit... And I will sing with the understanding also. I find this to be a problem in modern churches. I find this a problem to be in traditional churches. Half the times they sing and it's just words spitting out. I read a book once. It was put out by an independent Baptist college, uh, uh, one of the head musicians there. And she gave a whole discussion on how she saw church music. And there was this formula in there, when you do a church service, you start out the prelude with fast music, and then you have the first song that's going to be a fast song. And it was all this formula, how you do, it was all about speeds. And it was all about, uh, about how this style of music affects the person, and how uh, when you bring the service down, it needs to be slower to prepare them for the heart for the message. And when you do the invitation, it needs to be fast to get people down the aisle. I'm sorry, What? Where is that in the scriptures? But I know a whole bunch of churches that follow that woman's teachings. And there's no scriptural reason for any of it. And so when we look at the subject of music in the church, why do we do what we do? Why do we do the music we do? And so for that, I learned in college... They, and, and every every college is a little bit different than this. They talk about the Baptist distinctives. What makes this? And they'll have these acronyms, and they use the word Baptist and all that. But one of the main things that all of them have in common that we Baptists believe is that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. For whatever we do in church, whatever we do in our life, the Bible is our sole authority. So if the Bible is our sole authority of everything that we do in faith and practice in church, then that's also the case for the scriptures and for the music that we do. Now, when we look at the music, I want you to consider in the next three days what you might think may be wrong. I can remember when I first began on this journey in my late teenage years. I, I was, we were talking in our house last night. My father-in-law and I were talking because there were a lot of things he didn't understand when he came to visit our house for the first time. And one of the reasons he came to visit our house for the first time was my my dad thought I was out of control and that he needed to bring someone into our church to preach on the subject of music before I got really out of control on on this area. Now, I wasn't, you know, um, growing my hair out long and and, and playing an electric guitar in the back room. I had a piano teacher who taught me how to put jazz and ragtime into church music. And so our church services were rather interesting. So... (laughs) We were listening to some things last night, and I said, "Dad, I said, if you listen to this, this is just like it was before you came to town." Now, after he came to town, there were some things that I had to confront and I had to consider, and this was a probably I would say a ten-year process through, this, through the whole subject of music because there were lots of musicians that I liked. I'll be talking about some of them tomorrow night that are good musicians, but the music has no place in our church, and so. There are some things you need to be, when you look at the subject of music, what does the Bible say about it? Let's go back to the beginning. Now, don't get alarmed. We're not going to start in Genesis and work our way through to Revelation tonight. But there's a couple that we need to begin looking at where it all started, and then we'll look at the origins, and then we'll look at the motives behind what our music is supposed to, and then we'll go home tonight. Take a look at Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. We're looking at the first instance of music in the Bible. So why are we in Job? Shouldn't we be in Genesis? Well, God is addressing something in the book of Job. He's having a conversation. Job and God are talking about... They're not really having an argument, but Job has been pretty much justifying why he is the way he is and why... Life has turned out the way it is. And then God has some things to say in Job chapter 38. And in Job chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Lots of words without knowledge. Kind of like Peter, he's just babbling. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. In other words, you have a lot of things to say, but you weren't there when I made all this. And then it goes on. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So in the very, very beginning, when everything was created, when everything was made, there was music at creation. When... The morning stars sang together. Stars are musical. What they sang, we don't know. But there is music in the very, very beginning at creation. It doesn't take long, however, for we find, as we look at other passages of Scripture, that music was corrupted almost immediately now let's look at ezekiel chapter 28 ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12 now this passage of scripture is is kind of has a dual interpretation, a dual meeting. There is a real man that's also being addressed here, but it's also a revelation of when Satan fell from heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 28, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Now we could spend a huge amount of time in this passage of Scripture. But this passage of Scripture, and also Isaiah chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, which we will not take the time to look at, that one also refers to Satan as Lucifer and how he fell from heaven. But it's interesting, in both Isaiah 14 and in this passage of Scripture here, there are references to musical instruments. In Isaiah chapter uh, 14, it talks about the noise of thy viols. Or stringed instruments. And then here in verse 13, it, it kind of describes this creature. We have no idea what Satan looks like. We do know that he's a very attractive being. He can transfer himself into a, an angel of light. But in his being, from what this passage of Scripture tells us here, he appears to be a very jeweled being, a very beautiful, attractive creature But also notice that the workmanship of, in verse 13, thy tabrets, which is a musical instrument, and thy pipes was prepared in the day that thou was created. Prepared in thee. From this passage of Scripture, it appears that built into Satan's or Lucifer's body, is musical instruments. Scholars think that the very movement of Satan creates, created music. So, if this is the case, which we look at the passage of Scripture, if Satan is a very, very musical being, do you not think that Satan is going to take music, which is part of his being and corrupt it everything about satan is corrupt everything about everything that satan does there's no good part it's all about corruption and deceit so we have here at the very the very beginning satan created by god as a musician now you can make all the kinds of jokes that you want about musicians and satan and trust me i've probably heard most all of them at some point in time or another but it's something that you have to consider if satan is musical music cannot be a neutral subject this whole concept of the neutrality of music is a new concept up until the 1960s and the 1970s, it's always been considered a moral art form by secular musicians, by scientists, by preachers, by pastors, by religious leaders. It's always been a moral art form until late 1960s, early 1970s, when the Jesus movement out in California, decided that they were going to be introducing the whole concept of Christian rock and roll. And we'll discuss that tomorrow night. But the whole concept that music is neutral, and there's not bad, there's not good, it just is. Everything just comes from God, and therefore it's okay, is a brand new, in the last 50 years, concept. So Satan's a musical being, and Satan corrupts everything. If we look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, and we won't go there for the sake of time, but Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, we looked at it on Sunday night, we find the very first musician in the Bible, one of the grandchildren of Cain, and his name was Jubal, and he was the father of all that handled the pipe and the organ. So historically speaking, just from the beginning, we have God created music, we have Satan who who create, not creates music but Satan who is a musician himself and then the very line of Cain creating music. That's already a corruption has entered into the musical strain. Now those are the origins of music. and We're going to take a few moments tonight and look at what our musical motives are supposed to be with those origins in mind. When we look at music, what are we trying to accomplish with music? When we come to church what are we planning on doing with the song service? And that's not just the person who stands behind the pulpit and waves her hands. But that is also you who is out there in the audience. Music in the church and music, historically speaking, in the spiritual sense has never been a spectator sport. Not something that everybody here in the audience just watches, but is something that we are to do as a corporate body and as a congregation. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. These are going to be two passages of Scripture that you're very familiar with, but I want us to examine them a little bit closer. Ephesians chapter 5 In verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The concept here is the Holy Spirit is supposed to be what is controlling your life, not some other outside source like alcohol. The whole concept is the Holy Spirit is to be what is controlling you. And then he goes on to say, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You might want to put a bookmark there because we will return to this several times in the next few days. But he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. Now look at Colossians. A parallel passage of scripture in Colossians chapter 3 And verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Over in Ephesians, he said, speaking to yourselves, supposed so to be talking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I want to look at these three things tonight, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and then we'll be really at an impasse to figure out what kind of motive we're supposed to be doing in our church. The first one, he says here, is psalms. We're going to deal with that secondly. We're going to start with hymns. And the reason we're going to start with him is because I want to walk you through a little bit of the Old Testament because it's interesting to notice as you walk through the Old Testament, the very first song in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 15. That's a huge period of time for us, if if you look at the Bible chronologically, for us to not really have any record of music. But really the only record of music we have from Genesis of, of Jubal, until Exodus, you've had a few mentions of, 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 of people singing. But other than that, you've, you have Laban telling his son-in-law that we would have thrown a go, going-away party and have tabrets and harps and uh, all kinds of music. And he really just was trying to smooth the situation over. But other than that, we really don't have a lot of record of music until we come to the crossing of the Red Sea. And at the crossing of the Red Sea, in Exodus chapter 15, we have, they've just went through a unbelievably miraculous situation. And in Exodus chapter 15, we have Moses singing, and the children of Israel, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spake, saying, "I will sing unto the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath He thrown into the sea." And I could read down through the entire passage of Scripture, but what we have here is this this outbreaking of joy about what God has done in the lives of the children of Israel, and bringing this miracle through the Red Sea. They're singing a song of praise. If you read through the passage of Scripture, it is one reference after another about how God has delivered us and how they're praising God for their deliverance. And if you look up hymns, the the word hymn in the Greek comes from the word hymnio or hymnios. And what it refers to is to sing a religious ode, a poem, to celebrate God in song and sing praise unto God so when we're singing hymns in church what are we doing we're singing praise to God that's what we're referring to when we're singing hymns the second one he said or the first one was psalms psalms hymns and spiritual songs deuteronomy chapter 31 In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is coming to the end of his life. He's led the children of Israel out of Egypt and they've had a lot of bumps along the way, 40 years of it. And God says to Moses, I want you to write this song down. And what this song is going to be, this song is going to be Pretty much a discussion on here's what you are supposed to do, and if you do it, I will bless you. And if you don't do it, you will be punished and I will curse you. And I want you to take this song and I want you to teach it to all the children of Israel so that they can teach it to the next generation so it can go on to the next generation and to the next generation so that everybody knows. Here's what happens when you serve God, and here's what happens when you don't serve God. And what we have here is an example of a psalm. And the word psalm comes from salo, or salos, and it is to rub or touch the surface, referring to playing a musical instrument to to twitch or to twang to play on a stringed instrument to celebrate the divine worship and in the accompanying modes a set piece of music a sacred ode accompanied with voice harp or other instrument a collection of the book of psalms in other words it is a set collection piece of music of scripture set to music so Pretty much, here is how you're supposed to live your life, and we're going to set it to music so you can teach the next generation. That's why teaching children children's songs are so important. And not just senseless, senseless little ditties. I worked in a, in, a, in a large church at one point in time, and I went around and around with the bus director. Because the bus director would always insist on, on the buses we're going to sing these songs, One of them was, potato chip, potato chip, a bunchy, bunchy, or a crunchy, crunchy, I love Jesus, a bunchy, bunchy. And I said to him, I said, what is this teaching the children? And that was the kind of nonsense they sang on the buses. We are to be teaching these children, I don't care who the children are, if they're children who have grown up in church and and, and never spent a Sunday outside of church, or if they're children who have never set foot in a church in their life, we should be teaching them songs that teach them about the character, the goodness of God, and about Scripture. Psalms, hymns, and the third one is spiritual songs. And I'm sure Pastor or Dr. Johnson can school me later on how to properly pronounce these Greek words. But you can look them up later in your Strong's Concordance. But uh, the third one where we get the spiritual songs for is, I think we got this right, pneumatakos. And what it's referring to is non-carnal, not carnal, ethereal, not gross, or demonic, but is a supernatural, regenerated, religious ode. Ode meaning poem or song. And what it is meant for is to rehearse or relate religious experiences. A testimony, a testimonial song. So what what do we have here? We have three kinds of songs. We have a psalm, which is teaching scripture. We have a hymn, which is singing praise to God. We have a spiritual song, which is to relate to you my spiritual experiences. In Judges chapter 5, and we won't go there again for sake of time, we have the third song mentioned in the Bible, Judges chapter 5. And that's a spiritual song. It's where Deborah and Barak were relating their entire experience about how they had followed God and went out and won this war and won this battle. And it's a song about... Their spiritual experiences. Those are the three kinds of songs that we are to have in our life Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Those are the kinds of songs that we're supposed to sing in church. There are some things here that are absent when we look at what is in the churches today. Now, I'm going to say a few things, and I want you to think about them. Don't react, just think about them. Mull them over in your brain. It's an interesting thing that if you look through all the references of music in the Bible, you know what you will not find? Worship music. It's not there. You actually will not find worship and music in the Bible. Why? Because worship isn't music. Worship, every time you find worship in the Bible, it is an act. A physical act also involving obedience where you find a person on the ground, on their face, yeah. worshiping. Go. It's kind of hard to get down on the ground and on your face and sing really loudly waving a tambourine in the air. It's not there. There's only one place in the Bible where you find worship music and it's in Daniel chapter 3 where King Nebuchadnezzar said whenever we have all of this music going on you fall down and you worship the idol it's the only place it is in the Bible several months ago this 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 idea this concept has become so pervasive that worship and music are synonymous, that people just come to accept it. I've attended a number of worship conferences that were on the subject of music over the last 20 years. And it's just interesting because you're going, how is this supposed to work? Because worship, you, you can praise God. We've already looked at that. But praising God and worshiping God are two separate entities what else we you know there's another concept that we do not find in the subject of psalms hymns and spiritual songs and this is something that took me a long time to accept or come to grips with look at psalms chapter 40 psalms chapter 40 a very familiar passage of scripture But in Psalms chapter forty and verse one, he says, "I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my going. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord." This interesting passage of Scripture talks about the subject of a new song. We'll get into the subject of a new song another night. We're talking about motives right now. One of the things we do not find in the Bible is music being used as a tool to reach the lost. One of the huge things that they say with Christian, a lot of the modern Christian rock singers and Christian pop musicians and so on, is, is these are soul winning tools. I'll discuss some of this tomorrow night when we ta- discuss some of their methods and the, the ways they go about in their concerts to reach the lost. And you will find that it really isn't biblical at all because you find out they're turning them over to people who, don't, who are not even believers, who are not even saved, like Catholic priests and so on and so forth. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that we, for us to use music as a tool to reach lost. Now, in Psalms chapter 40, we find that when we get saved, in Psalms chapter 40, verse 3, he puts a new song in our mouth. In other words, our new song is different than our old song. There has got to be a difference between when you are... Say, you say all things are become new. You become a new creature with a new song. And he says in this passage of Scripture, He hath put a new song in my mouth. What is the new song? The new song is praise to our god why because when you were a lost person you didn't praise god you didn't even know who god is or, or what god does so he's put a new song in our mouth even praise into our god many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the lord in other words they look at you and say hey there's a difference There's something different about that person. There's something different about the song. No, the concept isn't, I need to adapt my music to be like the lost person's music so they'll like it and think it's cool and listen to the words and then get saved. That's not there. It's a different song, and people see there's a difference, and people get saved. But that is not what the song is. The the passage tells us the song is praise unto our God. It's not a, I am directing this at the lost person on here's how to get saved. There is one way to witness to the lost person. And the Bible says in the New Testament is the foolishness of preaching. It's not with concerts, it's not with lights, it's not with shows, it's not with plays. It's preaching, and it's testimony, testifying from me to you. It is not a tool to reach the lost. It's not worship. It's not a a tool or a weapon or an emotional song to get you to make an emotional decision. It is very difficult because music is an emotional thing. Years ago, I worked for a camp, and it was interesting. We would have these, these competitions on the platform. And um, it, was, it was summer camp. You know, it's camp. They do all kinds of wacky, crazy things. And the camp director would ask me, can you do music on the piano to um, provide uh, tension to build up the, the tension in the audience. Sure, I can, I can do that. But then a thought came to me because I was a teenager who was constantly thinking about odd things. I wonder if if I play in a certain way, how it affects this person as opposed to that person. And so I began trying out all these different chords and all these different ideas to see how it would how each person would respond. Now, Brother Dave had no idea what I was doing over there. He just thought I was providing tension music for the audience, and I was using his uh, platform players as guinea pigs to kind of try to see how we could how we could. Can I make this team win and can I make this team lose? Is this team like this style or does this team like that style? And I'm doing this and I, and I come to figure out, yes, you can do these kinds of things because different people react different ways to different kinds of music. And so here I am over there uh, and before there was the 2000 election and people started rigging ballots and everything, I was trying to figure out how to manipulate people with music. This is why I don't go into politics. <laughs> so... But in a church service, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. I'm not supposed to be doing a particular kind of music to get you to make an emotional decision. Because you know what that's going to be? Just that. An emotional decision. And I was asked in a setting once if I could play certain kinds of music to affect the audience in a Emotional, spiritual way. That's not what we're here for. This is, a, again, this is a new concept. This idea did not come about in, in hymnody or hymn music until the middle part of the 1800s. And it was then that a particular revivalist said he wanted certain music written that was going to be effective on getting more people down the aisle. So they wrote invitation songs in such a way to affect people emotionally, to get them to make emotional decisions. If you go to Acts chapter 2, you will find in Acts chapter 2 the Pentecost. And you find the day the Holy Spirit came upon the people in the upper room. You know what you don't find? Music. They did not need someone playing a sad song on the piano to get everybody to become Holy Spirit-filled. If you walk into these charismatic churches, you will find that all of these churches, they do this. They, they, They will pick certain kinds of music during different phases of the service to affect people different ways emotionally to make certain kinds of decisions. This also happens in independent Baptist churches because I've been in the back room when these kinds of dis- discussions were taking place about what kind of music you do and when you do it. That's not what it's for. And so when we pick a piece of music, when we pick a song, it should be doctrinally correct, should be full of the scriptures, and we'll discuss this tomorrow when we discuss the right messages and messengers. But when we look at music in the church we should look at what it's supposed to be and leave out the rest I believe and, and I, I this, is, this is what I think because um, we don't have time in this music conference to look at how music is um, from a scientific standpoint uh, scientific research and so on I could go into long discussions about that. and I, When I taught this in the college, I would take about six, uh, about eight weeks, two hours a week teaching to this subject. But I believe that music is in itself, because it is a spiritual form and an emotional form, I believe that's why we never find it in the Bible to use music in an abusive manipulative way to make people make spiritual decisions why because it has a strong power the same sense that i'm not going to be handing out pills and meds at the back door when people walk in so you'll be more conducive and more easygoing to whatever the pastor says because it affects you in ways you do not understand i have a book in my office i've piles of books in my office on the subject of music. One of them uh, was written by a man by the name of Dr. Oliver Sachs. Dr. Oliver Sachs was a leading psychiatrist in New York City for many, many years. He wrote tons of books on the subject. Dr. Sachs was an unsaved Jewish homosexual. And he waited until the end of his life. He was, I think, in his late 70s, early 80s. He passed away several years ago. He was an atheist. And he waited until the end of his life to write a book on music, Because he said, I waited all my because I didn't think I was qualified to write a book. And he wrote the book and he said, at the end of the book, 407 pages of all these different things that he had researched on music and its effect on the brain and its effect on the body and all these different situations he had come about over the years of dealing with music and how it affects people. He said at the end of the book one of the reasons I did not write until the, and the only reason I'm writing it now is because of be the end of my life and I'm probably going to die. So I really don't have a running out of time here. He said, but the thing about music, he said, the more I research it, the more I understand about it. He said, we are dealing with a force and a power that we have no comprehension and no understanding of how it truly affects music, musicians, people, and their minds. Yes. And this was a man who, who is one of the leading, more respected men of his age in the subject of the mind and psychiatry so we just don't understand it we're playing with a force we don't comprehend that wasn't me that's what he said and that's why i think that that god doesn't intend for us to use it in other ways he says here psalms hymns and spiritual songs i have several other passages of scripture and several things But let me just wrap it up here in in this. We've looked at mostly what music in the church is supposed to be in tonight. What about music in your home? We hope to discuss this in the next few days, but let me just say this. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 pretty much tells us everything that we need to know about music in our home. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are... True, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any, be any praise, think on these things. Interesting on the subject of music. Music comes from the word to muse or think. So if you're going to do muse, if you're going to do music, what should it be? Pure. Lovely, good report. Where's your music coming from? We'll talk about that tomorrow night on messages and the messengers. But when we look at the subject of music, it should be these things. Think about these things good report, pure, lovely, any virtue, any praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives the next few days. I pray that you would. Um, Help us to be open and honest and ask you for what you want us to do with the music in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.